Let me invite you to take your Bibles this morning and turn with me to the book of Exodus. Exodus chapter 20, we'll be looking at verse 16 this morning. That passage is found on page 61 in the Pew Bibles and the Pew Racks in front of you. If you have not brought your own Bible this morning, page 61 in the Pew Bibles. We are returning this morning to our Sunday morning sermon series through the book of Exodus that's been on hiatus for the last several weeks because of the Advent series. And last week when I was under the weather. So we are back to Exodus. We uh, stopped off in the middle of the Ten Commandments, and now we are picking up uh, with uh, commandment number nine this morning. So let's look at Exodus chapter 20, verse 16. Hear the word of the Lord. You shall not bear false witness against your neighbor. Amen. Thus far the reading of God's holy word. Let's go to God in prayer. Our God, we thank you that you are a God who reveals yourself, who reveals your will for our lives, and who reveals your will for us that is good for us, O God. And so, O God, we pray that you would change us you would conform our hearts and our lives to what is good and what is right and what is holy. So by your spirit, we ask that you would do that this morning. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. At Christmas time, I think many of you have favorite movies that you watch every year. We have that as well. One of our movies that we watch as a family was actually our, my tradition and our family growing up it was the, the old miracle on 34th Street with Edmund Gwen and Maureen O'Hara and others. And there is a scene in that particular movie in which the district attorney's son has been called to testify. And his name is Tommy, the DA's son brought by the defense. And the judge, as he's being sworn in, doesn't do the normal swearing in thing. The judge simply asks him, Tommy, you know the difference between telling the truth and telling a lie, don't you? And he responds, everybody knows that you shouldn't tell a lie, especially in court, was Tommy's response. Well, it seems that not everybody knows that you shouldn't tell a lie. In fact, several years ago now, I think it was 20 to 30 years ago now, there was a book that came out about a study that was done. The title of the book was called The Day America Told the Truth. 
91% of people who were polled said that they lied regularly. They told the truth. They admitted. 91% admitted to lying regularly. In that poll, only 45% said that lying was wrong. The only reason why they didn't lie is because they feared getting caught in a lie. That was the primary reason why they didn't lie more uh, than, than they did. One in five said that they told conscious premeditated lies every day. And even today, we, we whitewash lies when we use the expression, a common expression today, we're being economical with the truth. We are a lying people, contrary to ninth, the ninth commandment. The Bible is clear. The Bible is clear. We read it often. Uh, we read clearly in Proverbs chapter 6, God hates a lying tongue, a false witness who breathes out lies. And we see it here forbidden in the ninth commandment. Now, the language that's used here in the ninth commandment in Exodus 20 verse 16 is actually the language of the law court. Uh, the Hebrew, in the Hebrew, it is the language of the law court. As Dr. Currid uh, points out in his commentary, several legal terms are used in this commandment. So it is from a, uh, the commandment is given a basically judicial setting. So at its uh, baseline, this is condemning perjury uh, in a court of law. But as we have seen in previous commandments, the commandments essentially forbid the most extreme forms of particular sins, most extreme forms of particular sins, but it includes other sins as well. So, for instance, do not murder or do not kill. Well, it includes other things like hatred, etc., etc. Do not commit adultery. Well, there are other sexual sins as well that that forbids, including lust, as Jesus clearly points out in his own teaching. The ninth commandment forbids what we might call perhaps the deadliest of lies. It serves to condemn someone for a crime that they did not commit. And it applies, of course, to other lies as well, to other deceits as well. We're actually going to spend two weeks on this particular commandments, looking at what is forbidden and then positively what is what we are called uh, to do. This is a significant commandment because I think we are, are so tempted 
uh, either to lie or uh, not to be uh, fully straightforward with the truth. So let's look first of all at the immediate meaning of this commandment. Again, as we, uh, as I've said, this is in a uh, judicial setting. Uh, in a, a judicial setting. Now, originally, this would not have been in a courtroom, a, a, a building, a courtroom, as you, as you are probably familiar in the the ancient Near East. Uh, judgment and cases were judged at the city gate. Uh, so it was open to all when court cases were, were going on at the, the city gate. And also, in the ancient world, when someone was charged with a crime, typically they were assumed to be guilty. They did not have the mindset of innocent until proven guilty. You're assumed guilty until proven innocent. Now in Israel, and by the grace of God and by the revelation of God, there, were, there was biblical protection. In many uh, cultures, you could be condemned on the testimony of one witness. But of course, there's biblical protection. God says there must be two or three witnesses. Also in the Old Testament, there is biblical protection and that false witnesses were to receive, if they were proven to be false witnesses, would receive the same punishment that the accused would receive. And so there is another uh, protection for the accused. Yet, the bottom line is, in the ancient world, guilt or innocence largely depended on the witnesses. There was no DNA in the ancient world, no DNA samples, no fingerprints, no forensic teams, etc., etc., etc. Witnesses were critical. John Mackay writes this, it is the witness in a law case or the witnesses in the law case who provide the evidence on which a case must be decided. The whole process is undermined if the evidence before the judge is, or judges is distorted or false. And he goes on, disregard of the need for truth leads to a breakdown in the order of society. And this is especially important in a world, the ancient world, where there were, there were many crimes were actually capital crimes. More crimes beyond simply murder were capital crimes in the ancient world. So lives were at stake here. We actually see some biblical examples. We won't look at all of them, but two prominent, prominent examples of someone being condemned and actually put to death because of false witnesses. One in the Old Testament would be Naboth. You remember the story of, of Naboth who had a, a vineyard uh, that was right next to uh, Ahab's palace 
uh, Naboth had a wonderful vineyard, and Ahab, the, the king, wanted it. And he offered Naboth a wonderful land elsewhere, but Naboth said, no, this has been in my family. Uh, I am going to hold on to my, my family land. And Ahab went off to his room and he sulked. The king of Israel went off sulking because he couldn't have Naboth's land. Well, good old Jezebel, she came to the rescue. What did she do? She set up two false witnesses to accuse Naboth of cursing God and cursing the king. And Naboth was stoned to death for crimes that he did not commit and said to Ahab, here's your vineyard. I got it for you. The other one, of course, is at Jesus' trial where two false witnesses came forward and Jesus was convicted. False witnesses breaking the ninth command led to the death of two innocent men in scripture. One of them, the Lord Jesus himself. So this command was critical in its ancient setting, ancient legal setting. It's also critical in ours, of course, when people are sworn in today, they, are, they promise to tell the truth, the whole truth, and nothing but the truth. In fact, Joachim Dauma, in his book on the Tenth Commandments, says that the Ninth Commandment protects our entire system of justice. Several years ago, a president, one of our presidents, sitting presidents, lied under oath. He ended up being impeached. And many said, who were supporters of this president, some, many said he, he simply lied to, to cover up personal behavior. And yet it struck at the heart of our legal system. It struck at the heart of our legal system. And lies have community impact. But this also includes other sins. Other sins are included outside simply lies in court, lies under the legal system. Simply one includes simply telling lies themselves. I'm going to list several here. Telling lies, again, blatantly saying something that is not true. Ananias and Sapphira is a, is a good biblical example. They lied about how much they were giving to the church in scripture, and they faced judgment. Now, they brought a lot. They gave a lot to the church, but they kept back a little. We could say it was a white lie, a little white lie. We could say, oh, it's just an exaggeration. Oh, it just 
made themselves look a little better. God struck them down. They died for that little white lie. We don't want to get into all the reason of speculation for why God struck them down, but a little lie is no such thing. They lied to make themselves look better, to make themselves look better, and they faced God's judgment. So it includes, telling lies includes not telling the full truth. You call your boss, you're stuck in traffic, you tell your boss you're, you're late because you're stuck in traffic, that might be the truth, but it, it may be true if not for the three stops that you've already made on your way to work or something like that. Gordon Ketty writes, lying is the murder of the truth and the end of trust. Lying is the murder of the truth and the end of trust. Gossip is included under the tenth, under the ninth commandment. Gossip is included. Even if it's true. Even if it's true. Proverbs 16:28 says a dishonest man spreads strife and a strife and a whisperer or gossip separates close friends. Or Proverbs 17:9 whoever covers an offense seeks love but he who repeats a matter separates close friends. Martin Luther said once, reputation is something quickly stolen, but not quickly returned. Reputation, something quickly stolen, but not quickly returned. Our larger larger catechism, Westminster Larger Catechism 144, it's in your bulletin this morning. We're actually going to look at it more in the next sermon on this commandment, but it has this phrase that this ninth commandment calls for a charitable esteem of our neighbors. A charitable esteem of our neighbors. Phil Riken says this, the problem with gossip is the victims of gossip never get to defend themselves. They never get to defend themselves. The victims of gossip. They never get to explain circumstances. They never get to correct misconceptions about what's being said about them. If someone comes to you with gossip, stop them. Don't listen. Stop. 
That's what we need to do. It's breaking the ninth commandment. Slander is also included under this ninth commandment. Talking about a person in a way that tears them down, possibly destroying their reputation. Proverbs 22.1 says, A good name is more desirable than great riches. To be esteemed is better than silver or gold. We need to seek to build up, to talk well of others. There's backbiting, which is closely related to slander, tearing down when someone is not present. There's also next coming to rash judgments. Rash judgments. Taking sides in a dispute when you've only heard one side of the story. Only heard one side of the story. That is so common. And I see it all the time in pastoral ministry. The person talking to you is so believable. But, but, you don't know the other side. Proverbs 18. The one who states his case first seems to be right until the other comes and examines him. The other comes and tells his side of the story. Don't believe everything you hear. Don't come to rash judgments. There's also misleading statements, including truth, but in the wrong context. Truth, but in the wrong context. Something can be true, but can be deceiving in its implications. A humorous illustration of this. I heard the story once of a, of a first mate on a ship who was disciplined by his captain. For his revenge, one day the captain was ill and the first mate ran the ship and kept the log. And his opening entry that day in the log was, Captain Sober today. True. Misleading. And also we can add to this Silence in the cause of truth. Or perhaps not defending others when they are unfairly attacked. Not defending others when they are unfairly attacked. What do you do when someone comes to you to tell you what someone else has said or someone else has done. That's where the rubber meets the road in a lot of these things. What do you do? What do you say? A big part of 
not bearing false witness against others is not getting involved with others who do, who talk about others, who gossip, etc., etc. You've heard me mention the name Charles Simeon, Pastor Charles Simeon, pastor in Cambridge, England. I've used many illustrations about Charles Simeon in my preaching over the years. But he laid down laws for himself in this particular area. And here they are. He wrote this, first, to hear as little as possible what is to the prejudice of others. Second, to believe nothing of the kind till I am absolutely forced to it. Third, never to drink into the spirit of one who circulates an ill report. Fourth, always to moderate as far as I can the unkindness which is expressed toward others. Fifth, always to believe that if the other side were heard, a very difficult account would be given of the matter. And he ends with this, I consider love as wealth. And as I would resist a man who should come to rob my house, so I would a man who would weaken my regard for any human being. I regard love as wealth. And I would resist any man who would weaken my regard for any human being. We need to ask ourselves, what I want my sins, my weaknesses, to be proclaimed, to be talked about. We need to resolve never to say anything about a person without going and talking to that person first. Not someone else. To that person first. Never to get caught up in gossip. The character of God is what? The character of God is truth. Paul says in Titus chapter 1, God cannot lie. But on the other hand, what is Satan described as? The father, a liar, and the father of lies. And this is indeed a, an important matter. In fact, Scripture says it's a It's a life or death matter. Psalm 15 says this, O Lord, who shall sojourn in your tent? Who shall dwell on your holy hill? He who walks blamelessly and does what is right and speaks truth in his heart, who does not slander with his tongue and does no evil to his neighbor. Who shall dwell on God's holy hill, the one who speaks truth and does not slander? But in Revelation chapter 22, we read this. Liars, those who practice falsehood, are in the fiery lake of burning sulfur, shut out 
from the eternal city. May God sanctify us to tell the truth, the whole truth, and nothing but the truth. Let's pray. Our God, we thank you that you indeed are a God of truth. And we thank you that you can you tell us that you sanctify us by your truth, O God. And so we ask that you would indeed continue your sanctifying work in our hearts, in our lives, your sanctifying work with our tongue, with our mouths, O God, that we might speak your truth. Be with us, we pray, by your Holy Spirit. We ask all this in Christ's name. Amen.